The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Jumping Bomb Audio Podcast, all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm here with my co-host, Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi, I'm excited to be here. It's a, it's a newsworthy uh, week and weekend in the world of Joshi, so there's lots for us to talk about. Before we started, you said you didn't want to keep saying how excited you were to talk about Joshi, and then that's what you said. Well, I am always excited, you know, it's, I'm, I'm speaking my truth, but sometimes I feel like I should mix it up. But, you know, when you ask me how I'm doing, I want to tell you the truth. And the truth is I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Well, I mean, I think that's, I think our listeners appreciate that we're excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. It'd be a boring podcast otherwise. So I think that's good, Taylor. I support it. Thank you. Uh, Good. You can find us over on Twitter at jbombaudio. Um, I tried to talk a little bit about some matches I was watching over the past two weeks. I mean, it was like once or twice, but how'd you feel about that? Um, I thought it was very interesting. The most interesting thing that happened was I did not watch the Tokyo Joshi show live and I logged onto Twitter and the first tweet I saw was yours (laughs) saying that you were surprised by the main event outcome. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, (laughs) have I been spoiled? Spoiled by my own Twitter account <laughs> as to the results of this show, which I I actually took it um, the opposite way as it ended up. I thought you that you would be surprised by a Mizuki win. Mm. Um, so I actually ended up anti-spoiling myself because um, I went, oh, probably that means Mizuki wins. And then she, um, as we'll talk about in a second, didn't win. So it, right. so it worked out. But I'm very proud of you, Aaron. Uh, for tweeting for tweeting your thoughts yeah nobody really cared but i just you know thought i'd get it out there so uh i'm interested to see i I guess you've probably seen all the the tweets that i did so i'm interested uh, your reaction to some of these matches because we haven't really talked about the show Uh, you and me we haven't really talked about wrestle princess yet so but that's about to happen so uh, i'm at aaron like the car taylor's at tay mambo you can subscribe to this podcast on the podcast app of your choice please do you'll get all these shows as soon as they come out uh give us a five-star rating and a review if you use the apple podcast app please tell a friend who likes joshi to come check out the podcast and if you want to donate to the show if you like the show and you want to throw us a few bucks go over to redcircle.com slash shows 
slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. You can do so. Taylor's right. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, we are going to uh, go in depth on Tokyo Joshi's Wrestle Princess. We'll talk about the stardom Corican from November 14th. We're going to talk about the stardom uh, Sendai show from November 15th. Uh, we're going to talk about stardom running uh, uh, Nippon Budokan, of course, in March. And we got a bunch of other news to get to, uh, including Akiyasakawa's return, which I'm excited to talk about. Uh, but we're going to start off the show with the Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestle Princess. Uh, should we start from the beginning, Taylor? I think that's a very good place to start. <laughs> well, sometimes it's good to start with the main event, you know, and and then and then go back to the beginning. Sometimes I like to do that. Well, let's 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 build up. Um, okay, let's that's build. Fair. Let's let's go from the beginning. All right, so the show got started with Sena Shiori and Suzume defeating Mei Suruga and Moka Miyamoto. Uh, what did you think about this one, Taylor? I thought this was a very fun match. As I said in the preview last episode, I was excited, and I guess am excited to see Mei Suruga here in Tokyo Joshi. I think that she's someone who is sort of perfectly in the lane of both what Tokyo Joshi sort of wants and also what they need, which is that she's got this sort of fun personality, fun character, which uh, we know Tokyo Joshi, a lot of it is very character driven. So it satisfies that. But I think that um, as many people would agree with me, she's super talented in the ring. I thought that this match was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I don't know what my expectations were going in for sort of an opening match featuring mostly younger wrestlers, but I thought it was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I thought May looked good. I thought everyone um, looked really good. I thought May sort of was able to show her personality to people who maybe um, don't follow Gato Move or Chaco Pro. So I was into it. I, I really hope... Um, May comes back. I think she would be a really great um, person for Tokyo Joshi to use because, as I said, she sort of checks all the boxes that they're looking for. And as we saw in this match that had a lot of younger, um, less experienced wrestlers, there's more chance for sort of things to fall apart or people to get lost. And I didn't really think that happened all that much. I thought it was very well put together. I thought everyone ended up looking really good. Um, so, so I really enjoyed this match. Yeah. I think my big takeaway from this one was how much better Suzume has gotten. Like I thought she obviously may was the, the best worker in the match, but I thought Suzume really stood out and was someone who I thought, okay, this is somebody who is going to uh, hopefully pretty quickly rise up the ranks of Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah, I think there was a time uh, a while back where it felt like Tokyo Joshi sort of dumped a lot of rookies and new wrestlers sort of into the promotion all at once. And for me personally, it became a little bit difficult to gauge, you know, all these people. You know, you get a rookie, you get two rookies, and then you can sort of see them in singles matches. Like I'm thinking of a place like Seedling that has two rookies. They're able to be in singles matches. You can see them. They get a good amount of focus where for a time in Tokyo Joshi, it felt like there were so many new people that someone knew would debut 
and you would think, oh, I want to learn more about this person. I want to see how they are. And then two weeks later, someone else knew a debut. And then it was like, okay, this new person is now the old person. And now we have to focus on the new, new person. So I'm excited to see, finally, it looks like some of these um, people who were in this big group of rookies starting to distinguish themselves and get better um, in the ring. And I think Suzume is one of those people. Okay, but here's something we have to talk about, Taylor. It is Moka Miyamoto's ring gear. Uh, It's insane. She looks insane. She looks like she's going out for dinner or something. Uh, just wild. It. Uh, we were talking about this earlier, I think, in the week as I was watching the show. I have thought, even since she debuted, she looks like someone who was going to attend the show in the audience and sort of <laughs> accidentally walked into the ring. It just looks so, I guess, proper. Like, it looks like you're going on an outing somewhere and you need to impress someone with your dress. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, just sort of very strange. It's not that the ring gear in Tokyo Joshi Pro generally lends itself toward, like, oh, fighters, you know. Uh, There's a lot of kind of off-the-beaten-path type gear, which I enjoy. I think it's, like, part of the good aesthetic of the company. But this is uh, just on another level of gear, really. It looks like it would make it difficult, more difficult to wrestle for me. Just, it looks so sort of not, I mean, it's not like constricting. It's not so super tight, but it's like, just looks like something you wouldn't want to wrestle in. Yeah. So sorry to all the big uh, Moka Miyamoto heads out there. I mean, I think she's good and I think she's done well. It's just, it's sort of a strange, it's just something you see and it's not something you really ever see in wrestling is this kind of attire. And then you say, well, what is, what is this person doing? <laughs> All right. Next up, we had uh, the team of Pam Harajuku and Mahiro Kiru defeating the team of Marika Kobashi and Haruna Neko. Uh, Mahiro got the pin. Uh, she pinned Haruna Neko with a spine buster. Yeah. I thought that this match was probably, and this might speak more to the quality of the show than of this match. I thought this was um, fairly safely sort of the weakest match on the card. There were those moments, as I talked about in the last match, that didn't happen. There were moments it didn't seem like everyone was quite on the same page or was really in sync with each other. You know, this is uh, America's first match returning. Uh, so that may have something to do with it, but it just never quite um, synced up for me and came together as a great match. Yeah, it wasn't great. And it was a pretty big letdown for me just because the first match was pretty good. And so I was like, all right, like we're really building, you know, on this card. Like, I don't know, when you're watching a wrestling show and the first match kind of exceeds your expectations, you just feel like, oh, this might be the one that just keeps escalating throughout the show into like a really, which I was already really excited for the main event, of course. So I kind of bummed me out that this was not quite uh, as good as I'd hoped. After that, we, yes, this is true. Uh, I thought my notes were wrong for a second. Uh, The next match was one of the semifinal matches in the International Princess Championship Tournament. Uh, Hikari Noah defeated 
Mirai Mayumi with the Blizzard Suplex hold. Yeah, I thought this was a fun match. I think uh, Mirai is one of those, um, like Susume, although she's a little bit ahead of that pace at this point, she's one of those younger wrestlers that has um, done very well and is getting better, um, getting better and better. Obviously, going so far into this tournament um, is a sign of that. And I thought this was a great match. It was a match, um, you know, I I think both you and I, Aaron, had predicted that Hikari Noah would make it through to the finals. So the, the outcome of this one uh, was not a surprise, but a very good match, I thought. Yeah, I loved this match. I thought it was excellent. Uh, I agree what you said about uh, Mirai. I think she's a real bright spot in the promotion. Um, this whole thing it was well paced it felt urgent i know i talk about that a lot but i really appreciate urgency in pro wrestling they peaked the match perfectly that spot where mariah was trying to get like a kimura or whatever and they were like really struggling for it i just felt like the peak of like a fight you know between two people uh so i just thought this match was very well done Uh, i thought they ended it at the right time especially you know for the third match on the card uh just this was frankly Maybe my second favorite match on the show. I just, I liked it a ton. Next up was the other semifinal match in the International Princess Championship Tournament. And I think this was a surprise, at least to you and me. Maybe everybody else uh, figured it out. But uh, Yuki Kamafuku defeated Shoko Nakajima with the Famouser. Yeah, we had discussed about how maybe that this tournament with Hikari Noah was a chance to get someone who hadn't been in that top position um, into a higher position. Uh, But we, I guess, didn't go all the way with our prediction because I think we both thought Shoko Nakajima would at least make it through to the finals. Um, But Yuki winning is a, you know, is a nice, uh, it was a good surprise. I thought it was, um, and I thought it was a good match. Right, it's like we had the right idea. We just uh, we picked the wrong person. We didn't. We didn't go all. We only sort of went fifty percent with our idea of pushing new people instead of one hundred percent. That's right. So, uh, which I guess you know, in the first match, either way would have been pushing new people. So that would have been good. But yeah, we uh, we missed the boat on that. I did have um, in the Everything Elite Discord uh, a, a person in there was watching their first. I think it was the first Tokyo Joshi Pro show they've ever watched. Wrestle Princess. And they were really enjoying it. They said, but Aaron, I need you to explain to me why uh, Yuki Kamafuku comes out to Old McDonald's. <laughs> well, Aaron, I have a I have a controversial question to ask you a bit later. Oh no. Um on the on the card. So we'll, I'll save I'll save my thoughts until we get to that until we get to that point. Oh, well, I'm intrigued now. All right, next up was uh, a much anticipated singles match between Raku and Yuna Manase, but Yuka, uh, I'm sorry, Yuna Manase won with a Lariat. I know we both predicted that Raku would get uh, her first singles victory, but it was not to be. Yeah, I guess seeing the result, watching the match, my question would be why, like, not why, you know, I'm not saying, oh, this match, why did it happen? Should have never happened, but Sort of it ended, and I was like, oh, so it was just a victory for someone who now is freelance and doesn't really work full-time for your company? 
I don't know. I was just sort of confused because, as you said, we both, I think, thought Raku would win and get her first singles victory. And that would sort of be the point of the match is to put her over someone who's strong but isn't a regular in your company so you don't have to worry about, you know, that she's going to lose some momentum losing to someone who hasn't won a singles match. But you know one, and it just sort of <laughs> took me quite by surprise. Yeah, I was surprised also. Um <sighs> I'm trying to decide if I want to do a, a take here that's probably going to get me thrown ooh, out. Ooh, of, uh, ooh. <laughs> of everything. Ooh. Uh, should I do it? I just think uh, Raku's offense is bad. I'm just going to say it. It's bad. And ooh, I, I, know oh, it's, okay. I know it's supposed to be fun, but it's like if I was comparing her offense to someone else who I really enjoy – and I like Raku a lot. Um, I talked to Raku, and she was very nice to me personally. And that's really all it takes for me to get uh, to get me to like you. Um, it's like Lulu Pencil, I think, is like a a, a decent comparison to Raku. Do, do you think that's fair? Um, the offense in terms of what sort of their offense is. Yeah, I just mean like. Neither of them does offense that I don't think is supposed to look like really physically um, like they're really like killing you with their offense. You know what I mean? Yes. So I I agree with you on that. Yes. But Lulu Pencils is like in a really fun way that's based in this very uh, intriguing and fun story about her career as a pro wrestler. Right. But Raku's is more like, I don't know. I don't think it's supposed to come off as a joke or like as something that we're laughing at. So I'm just not sure that it's like enough to really get over as like legitimate. I think what I think what we've revealed here is that Aaron is a big FTR fan who is (laughs) upset that. Um, no. There are two people who use the Goodnight Express, and Aaron has come down on the side of <laughs> FTR, a team I know that he loves very much. I have regularly called FTR's move the fake Goodnight Express uh, um, my other podcast. I don't know. I don't want to come down too hard on Raku because she's had a lot of matches that I've really liked. And on this very podcast, I've talked about her like her improvement as a pro wrestler. But in watching this match... I just thought, ugh, this offense is like, is is not great, but not in a way, you know, if it's the first match and it's Raku versus Palm or whatever, it's like, oh, this is cute and fun. And that's where Raku was for a, a, quite a while, right? But when you start putting her like in the middle of the card in this match where I'm like really wanting her to get her big win, I just want there to be more to her offense. Yeah, she sort of feels a bit like, you know, many years ago, I mean, many years ago, probably, I don't know, five years ago or more, you know, Tokyo Joshi for many years had the the sort of everyone thought of them as this company that you didn't really have any great, super talented wrestlers, but it was a lot of fun and no one really, you know, it was like, don't go in expecting great matches, go in expecting sort of this, just to have a lot of fun with the characters and things like that. And Raku does feel, you know, we talked about Suzume, we talked about Mirai Mayumi, um, and these are people who still have that character but have started to mix in, you know, the wrestling talent. And I think Raku is a bit of a sort of 
quote unquote old school Tokyo Joshi, where the offense is in service of the character instead of in service of winning matches. And I mean, she doesn't, as we just talked about, she has not won a singles match. Um, but I can, I can see where you're coming from. I don't think it bothers me as much as it bothers you, but. Well, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not. Bitching of course. Of I'm course. not like this Raku, get her off my screen or whatever. You know, like I enjoy watching Raku. It's just like, if she is going to take that next step, that's where I think she has room to improve. Sure. Yeah. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And people are going to hate that. I'll lightly agree with you, but not totally, <laughs> just in case everyone comes for you. And then I can, I sort of have a defense of I can get away um, from you. <laughs> yeah. I have, uh, I have the DDT Pro English account pulled up. And literally the first, you might like on the right side, there's like, you might like. And there's some Twitter accounts listed, you know, that I should follow. And the first one is Raku Maniac Chris. So. <laughs> My computer's listening to my takes, and it isn't happy, frankly. Uh, next up, the uh, WP switching randoms rules match. Hyper Masao versus Saki Akai. Uh, and Saki won uh, with uh, a TKO under the last woman standing rules. Yeah, this felt very much to me like, you know, obviously this was the biggest um, Tokyo Joshi show ever. And this felt to me very much like a when DDT runs their, um, I don't know if I want to call them biannual, triannual, whatever they are, big shows in Sumo Hall and places like that. The sort of match that is a staple of, of their shows, their big shows, sort of these things where other people are coming out, sort of chaos is happening, Um you know, in this one, it was different rules. They did no kicks at one point um, and different things. You know, you had uh, Sanshiro Takagi coming out um, as part of it. So I thought it was really fun. Actually, when it ended, I went, oh, that was really, that felt really short. I'm looking at it now. It went almost 14 minutes, so it wasn't that short. Um, but, it, it, you know, I was having a lot of fun, so it, you know, Probably in that way, it felt very short to me, and I had a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, Hyper is really the the king of this or the queen of this type of um, chaotic match, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think you nailed it with it just had that, that DDT energy uh, in a very fun way. Uh, and yeah, when you have Hyper Masao in these sorts of matches, this is what she does, and it's uh, usually a lot of fun. I am... Just, I'm sorry, I hate to go backward, but I am reminded, or I'm reminding myself, we talked about the finish, but or the outcome, but we didn't really comment on the Shoko and uh, Kamiyu match. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about that? Like, we didn't talk about the actual match at all. No, I, you know, I enjoyed the match, but I didn't really have any additional. Do you have something to say about the match? No, I just like, I felt like we'd shortchanged it. And so I didn't want to uh, miss something if, if you had something to say about it. Uh, it was something that had like a really great start where they just really went at it. And then I thought they, uh, I don't like, it's good to like get started hot and then slow down just for, like from a pacing perspective. You can't necessarily just go all out uh, for a whole match. But I thought it kind of stayed slow a little too long kind of lost some of its momentum and then picked back up for like a really fun finish. But that was really uh, my thought about it. But I just wanted to make sure I didn't steal a chance from you to talk about it. No, if I had something to say, I would say it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, 
All right. Well, that led us into uh, the tag match next, which was uh, Miyu Yamashita and Aja Kong versus Maki Ito and Sari. Uh, Miyu won the match. She got the pin on Maki Ito with the Crash Rabbit Heat. Yeah, this was in many ways what you would expect if you were to read sort of the list of participants out to yourself. Um, it was really great. Really made me yearn for a Miyu Seri singles match um, as they were delivering some great kicks throughout the match. Um, and, you know, this is a good sort of uh, placement of Aja, who obviously is now um, a bit older, but sh- I think she's very good in these situations where she can sort of come in, do her stuff, and then rely on someone like Miyu, who is so good to come in and really provide, you know, that push of energy um, to a match like this. So I thought it was super fun, uh, made me want more, which is, um, you know, what a match like this should do. Hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, Seri can come back to Tokyo Joshi and maybe get that singles match with Miyu because I think that that would be um, a superb match. Uh, And I think most people would probably agree with me on that. You said you wanted more. I'll tell you what I wanted more of, and that was Sari in this match. I felt like she wasn't really involved that much. I was kind of bummed about that because I wanted to see a lot more of, of her and Miyu going at it. Uh, I thought the, the Miyu and Maki Ito stuff was really good. You know, that was exciting, and I enjoyed that a lot. But it did leave me um, a little uh, wanting in that it didn't uh, give me enough Sari, really. Yeah, uh, I, I actually can see that. It actually did. I did think it took a while for Sari to tag in. Yeah. The first time I was like, oh, she's still not in the match. It's still just Maki Ito. And then, you know, she came in. But, you know, I have no, I have no idea what, you know, her... At this point, I'm like, I don't have any idea what her deal is or if she's coming to these companies and saying, sure, I'll do whatever you want, but I only want to wrestle for, you know, 10 minutes or, yeah. I don't know. She was also a make good, right, for for Mako, who was supposed to be in the spot. So right, it's not even like they necessarily would have had a plan for her in any way. So, yeah, I thought it was, you know, obviously a match like this, you look at the participants and you're like, whoa, it could, you know, it could be way up there and be super great. I don't think it ever got to that point, but it was a fun, you know, it wasn't in a main event spot on the card. So for where it was and what it was, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if this means anything, but Miyu did comment after the match that she would like to have a singles match with Sari. So who knows if something like that might happen, but that would be fun. Then we had uh, the finals of the international princess championship tournament with uh, Kamiyu defeating Hikari Noah with the diving famouser. She had to, you know, kick it up a notch for this one. Yeah, another uh, good match. Uh, surprising uh, result, but certainly not a, a bad result. You know, Yuki has been sort of slowly moving up the card in uh, recent times, um, but still not as we, you know, as was revealed last week when we previewed this show, someone neither of us predicted would win. Um, but I thought it was a good match. It was, you know, short. It was under eight minutes. Um, so not a ton, you know, not a ton to talk about. But, you know, I thought it was good and a good um, 
I think overall a good decision for a winner of the tournament, and I'm excited to see you know where that title goes. I really thought we'd get more more pride out of you as seeing a fellow Ohioan, uh, you know, rack up some championship gold here. Yeah, but she lived in Southern Ohio, I believe, <laughs> and uh, I was a Northern Ohioer, so there was oh. really. I really never went to Southern Ohio and it often feels like a different state. Sure. Um, in some ways. So yes, of course support someone from Ohio, but you know, Southern Ohio is sort of like Northern Kentucky. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think it's, I think Southern <laughs> Ohio is more like Eastern Kentucky where I'm from. Uh, so I, I feel a real, um, you know, Yuki is a is a comrade, is what I'm saying. Uh, you know, and as you know, as a you probably know, in the last Japanese election, she was openly touting a Communist Party candidate. So <laughs> we share a lot of uh, a lot of similarities, Camille, you and I. Yes. Now I have to I have to ask my controversial. Oh, now yes. I have to court controversy. I'm terrified. There were a number of people who had not watched. Um, as you mentioned, had not seen Tokyo Joshi who were watching for the first time or maybe for the first time in a while. And there were a couple comments I saw of people saying, well, now that Yuki is a champion, she should get rid of old McDonald as a theme. Aaron, how do you feel about that? I think that's a terrible idea. Like really bad idea. It's Kamiyu the thing about her is she's not a super worker, right? The thing about her is the character and like her, her aura and her presence and old McDonald is just part of it. So I would not go, she's gotten to where she is by being who she is. I would not go about changing her uh, now. Aaron, I, mean, I agree. I agree with you, but I just thought I would bring it up because it was something I saw multiple times during the week as people were watching this show. No, I disagree with that. I mean, Yuka Sakazaki comes out to ay 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 which which rules, which I love, but I'm just saying, you know, I don't know that uh this promotion is one where the main eventers have to come out to like um Kaze Ninare or whatever, you know. Well, just to be clear, I said I disagreed with the fact that she has to change it, not that I disagree with you. Yes, I thought so. I thought you were great. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yes. I just want to make sure because I don't want to, you know, you're already done for that bad stuff on Raku. I don't want to be in that same boat. <laughs> which you which you lightly agreed with, I recall. Only lightly, though. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right. The semi-main event, the Princess Tag Championship match. Uh, the champions, Rika Ta- Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe, defeated Taylor by the Bakuretsu sisters, uh, Yuki Aino uh, pinned Miyu Watanabe with the UBV, became the seventh champion. Yeah, so I am not as high on the Bakuretsu sisters as most people are, or many people are. So I was a bit um, bummed out by the result because I do really, I like the Miyu Rika tag team a lot. Um, and I just never really, for whatever reason, never really got into this match. Not that it was bad, but it just never really hooked me. Um, and then sort of the sad result for me. So overall, it was just sort of a eh, fine for me. Yeah, not my favorite match. Um, I'm I 
also don't love the Bakuretsu sisters as much as everyone else. But I'm also a big fan of uh, Yuki Aino as a singles wrestler. So it's like, well, I hope this doesn't pull her too much away from that because I think she's uh, intriguing in that role. The main event, this is what we're all here to talk about, right? The main event uh, for the big belt, for the Princess of Princess title, uh, Yuka Sakazaki retains the championship against Mizuki. Uh, she won with that, uh, the, the springboard flip thing that she does. <laughs> Freaking uh, Hakusan did not put the uh, move name, and I'm so bad at move names. So, Isn't it the Magical Girl Splash? Oh, yes, that's right. The Magical Girl Splash. Thank you. Yep, canceled again. I am. Uh, I think, <laughs> actually, I think we should cancel Hakusan, frankly. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. You think Hakusan listens to this podcast? Um... Sure, why not? Of course. <laughs> Who doesn't listen to this podcast, I guess, is the bet would be my question. That's true. That's a good question. A uh, podcast so listened to that the Voices of Wrestling flagship for the first time in about five or ten years covered Joshi on the on the flagship this week. So so clearly we're making waves here. We are. That's good. We're uh I we are clearly going to be big candidates for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame on the influence portion of the uh, criteria we're having a lot of influence is what i'm saying i liked it i liked that <laughs> you made it that now the wrestling observer hall of fame includes podcasts it should uh i mean podcasters are the big stars nowadays there's not a lot of big star wrestlers anymore uh it's all about podcasters look i don't i don't disagree with you <laughs> well what did what did you think of this match taylor we, gotta, I, we have to prove our, our cred here. Yeah, our Hall of Fame-worthy cred. Yeah, we've got to start um, putting together our tape you know, that we're going to submit for of course. Hall of Fame consideration. So I, I should speak in this match only in sort of things that we could clip out and would be really exciting to yes, hear. Exactly. Oh, what a match! Uh, <laughs> oh, God, we're never getting in. <laughs> um, I love this match. I thought it was amazing. Um, a match of the year. Uh, candidate easily for me. I went five stars. Um, I was sort of teetering on, I was sitting there going, oh, this is really good, but probably, um, you know, four and three quarters. And then there was the moment when Yuka extended her hand to Mizuki and pulled her up. And then they just started wailing on each other. Um, And I was like, oh yeah, here we go. This is now five stars. I just thought it was really very well worked. You know, obviously the sort of elephant in the room was Yuka's costume um, issues, but that happened in the first few minutes of the match. It was saw it was taken care of. And to me, I can't really fault a wrestler for something. I mean, that's not really in her control. So to me, that was sort of not all that important. I have a feeling I'm going to try and get ahead of Aaron here. Um, because I have a feeling what he might say, which is that I really enjoyed the legwork and I thought it was good. I saw a few people who said, well, the legwork, it wasn't great. But I thought it it ended up being very good. Now, it didn't, you know, go all the way to the end. But to me, I thought what was there was good. It wasn't egregiously in any way bad. I wasn't sitting there going, what is she doing? You know, 
doing X, Y, and Z. She sold it, I think, very well. So to me, a great match. Will it be the number one match um, on my end of the year list? I don't know, but if not, it will probably easily make it into the top three, I would probably say at this point. I just thought it was really good, well-worked, surprisingly hard-hitting for a Tokyo Joshi match and a match that I went into with very high expectations, as I think I talked about last week, and I think they actually exceeded my expectations. So to me, just uh, a great match. Aaron, what did you think? You did anticipate that my criticism would be of the legwork, but it wasn't, I thought the legwork was really good. I thought they did really well with that. And I thought uh, the selling of it was really good. I just, it just went to waste ultimately in the end. And that's something that I care about. And so it's something that I have to, you know, if we're, if I'm, uh, you know, uh, the judge, I'm deducting points on, on the match for that. I could never go five stars on a match where, uh, limb work goes to waste because I'm a weirdo. <laughs> but there was a ton of this that I really loved. Like, for example, they start out this match like lots of matches do, where they're kind of like grappling around and grappling that you know isn't going to play in to the finish. But they were fighting so hard in the grappling part, like really fighting for moves, uh, fighting for control. That's something that I really like. It's, I think what you said, Taylor, is really important to this match where I think even the best Tokyo Joshi pro matches don't always include this level of just like hitting each other hard or just going after moves hard, you know? Uh, And they really did this here. And it's interesting because it's not like a blood feud match. It's a match about like two best friends, right? But they're really fighting hard for this turn for, for this title. And that's fine. Like that's a great story. Uh, it's a story that makes sense, and they did a great job of proving the story. You know, like, okay, this is what we're doing. Uh, we're going to do it well. So another weird thing was, like, when they were up top, and I forget what the ma- what the move ended up being, but the announcer said... Oh, they, Spanish fly, Spanish fly. Yeah, and then they were like, not a Spanish fly. I was like, wow, you really, like, made that not as exciting <laughs> as it could have been. Yeah. That was kind of a bummer. Yes, I do remember because they were up there and I went, they're going to do a Spanish fly, are they? And then they didn't do it. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, speaking of moves, I don't know the name of the Mizuki move where she does like the the knee, but then does a full like rotation. Oh, yes. The spinning. um, It does have a it's a new move and it does have a name, but I I don't recall it. But yes, the spinning um, like splash yeah i don't know but it's like one of the coolest new moves i've ever seen like i just love it it's it looks so cool like obviously when you kind of pay attention you can see what happens like how it works but when you're just watching it in the middle of a match it looks uh literally magical of like how on earth does she have the ability to like start that rotation once she's already in the air you know what i mean it's like she's about to start coming down but then she flips around it looks so cool um anyway i really like this match i didn't love it the way you did uh, but i liked it a lot i thought it was very good yeah and i you know i'm someone i know aaron which is why i anticipated your your thoughts that you are a limb um a limb guy 
guess. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll love, call it I love limbs. <laughs> uh, and my thought always is it always feels like, I don't know, it never to me feels like, and this is not a critique of you specifically, I never hear of a match where people go, the limb work was perfect and that's why I enjoyed the match. It always feels like something where it's like, well, there's not a lot of critiques, but the creek is this and it's about limb work. And I just feel like if the limb work always worked into the finish, for example, then you know what the finish is the minute a limb gets started worked on. Get you know, someone starts working on a limb, you go, okay, well it's not gonna end until that limb gets worked on and something happens where Mizuki, you know, is in a Boston crab or something. I don't know. I it it always is sort of strange to me that sort of the the discussion surrounding what limb work is and what it should be in matches like this and other matches, you know, everywhere else in the world of, of wrestling. I don't really have a nice conclusion to this point. So that's, that's what I'll say. Okay. Two points in response. One, uh, limb work doesn't have to play into the finish because a wrestler can recover from the limb work. It's a lot about how you sell it. I mean, if you sell your leg like death, you know, like they've broken your leg and then two moves later, you're running the ropes and doing some sort of, you know, flying move. That sucks. Like, I just don't enjoy that. Uh, so a wrestler can easily tell the story that they've recovered from the limb work. I just need you to tell me that story. You know, you're, you, you see this happen all the time. People like kind of uh, punch their fist into their leg. Like, come on, leg. You know, like I need you to feel better. They're stretching the leg out or whatever. And that's enough for me. I'm like, okay, the leg got better, you know. Uh, but the other thing is. When you're putting together a match, you have the uh, the benefit of already knowing how it's going to end. So you know how you can build toward that. The best, like, to me, the point of, like, good limb work in a match is if a person's finish revolves around uh, a leg or an arm in a certain way and you try to weaken that. And either it works or it doesn't. But to me, if you know what the finish is, and you're like, well, and then I'll just work on your leg for five minutes, but then we'll move on to something else. I just think that's not a very compelling way of, of putting a match together. Uh, so I think you're right. A lot of people don't talk about matches where limb work goes really well. Part of that, I think, is that there's, there's not a ton of matches where it really plays in uh, very well. Uh, but that is something that have I mean, something I'm, at least among my friends, infamous for really loving is like, somebody works on a leg and then the person gets up to do like a running thing and they fall, you know, because they're, they're like, it's like, I just like the little things of like a, a cohesive story told in a match. That's really all. All right. <laughs> this is not a podcast about limb, limb selling. So we won't waste too much time on that. But um, anyway, that's the, uh, that's Russell princess. Any more thoughts about the show? Well, no, I well, how about the fact, I mean, I tweeted about this, that I was really surprised. Uh, I thought it made sense to go ahead and give Mizuki the title and uh, kind of move on from Yuka. Uh, someone, I, I, when I tweeted that, I think from our account, somebody replied and said they, they love to see aces win. And I'm like, that's true. I like like a dominant ace. There's nothing wrong with that. And Tokyo Joshi Pro has done well with that, you know, like with Miyu Yamashita being a, a dominant ace 
in the company. So I'm not against that. It just seemed like a natural time to kind of make a new star with Mizuki. Yeah, I guess I could see it. I could see it going both ways. And I think we talked about that on the preview where when Yuko won, I was sort of like, oh, okay. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't shocked. I can see, you know, you just keep it on this wrestler who has done, you know, very well. Maybe there's some thought that keep it on Yuka for when she goes to, you know, if, I guess, if slash when she goes back to AEW that you have something and they can say, oh, Yuka is the Tokyo Joshi uh, Princess of Princess champion. And then maybe you get some people interested in that. Maybe that's a thought. So it was a bit surprising to me, but I wasn't, you know, I understood why the decision they made was the decision that they made. Well, and, you know, we don't know the long-term planning. It could still be a long-term goal of theirs that Mizuki ultimately beats Yuka for the title or wins the title off somebody else, and they have, like, a rematch between these two. This is a story that you can keep going back to, so uh, this isn't a bad way to start it out. I'm not critical of of Mizuki not winning. It's just kind of what I expected to happen. Sure, and now... I guess we'll talk about this bit of news. Uh, Mizuki officially signing with Tokyo Joshi. Um, She was a freelancer for many years, although she barely really wrestled anywhere else except for Tokyo Joshi. Um, But officially signing, so maybe that becomes a thing where now that she's officially signed, they sort of work her back into wherever and then build her back up to finally, you know, win the title now that she's an official Tokyo Joshi um, wrestler. Yeah, I think that's something that's much more common in Japanese wrestling, that it's like you don't really sign somebody and then day one make them the champion, right? I mean, that does happen sometimes, but uh, not as common. So, yeah, maybe that's just part of the culture of uh, pro wrestling that she will eventually work her way back up. Okay, uh, is that, that's everything on Tokyo Joshi Pro. I think we can move into uh, stardom. The unfortunate thing about stardom talk is – like none of the matches are available to watch <laughs> one match, right? Has been posted so far. Yes. One, one match, which is the Corican main event has been posted at the time we are recording this. I'm probably sure by the time this comes out, there might be one or maybe two more matches right out in the world, but still not that many. Um, you know, even if we did it tomorrow, there would still probably only be two matches to talk about. So it yeah. wouldn't be a full show anyway. Yeah, it's a real bummer for us. You know, it seems like this has happened a lot with Stardom, where these big shows happen, and we never get to talk about the matches really on the show. Uh, we more just get to talk about kind of the outcome, you know, of, of what happened. So, um, kind of a bummer, and especially, you know, we talked about this before, but people were upset about how down we were on some of the Corquins when we both really liked uh, the last show that they did. The um, what was it called? Stardom Cinderella. That show. Yeah, and Yokohama, yeah. Yeah, Yokohama. That, but we never got to talk about the matches, so. <laughs> well, yeah, it just happened. It happened on the day we recorded, so we talked about the results, and then two weeks later, there had already been more stardom shows. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know 
what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So it felt weird to go back to that show and say, oh, we really, you know, right. we like the high-speed match. Well, um, let's, yeah. yeah. Well, let's run down. I'll run down the Corquin event, uh, results first. And then we can talk about the the match that is out, uh, and just see if there's just anything that uh, that happened that we want to discuss. So uh, Saya Ida defeated Lady C, the the new Stardom wrestler, Lady C. Uh, Konami and Rina defeated Hina and Riho. Hey, did you see the Riho track jacket post? And do you make anything of it? I did see the Riho track jacket post. Uh, there were some people who were very confidently saying, well, she, that's it. She signed. Now, I don't know. I don't know. You would probably know better than I would what's going on with her in AEW. I would assume that she's on some sort of contract. Um, oh, yeah. She's absolutely signed to AEW, but I think it is an, a U.S. exclusive deal. So now I will say someone else did point out that there are other members of the roster. Natsu is the one who comes to mind first, who also have track jackets who are not officially starred, who are freelancers. 
Um, right. I think it's, I don't think they do that quite the same. Like I remember this is a random one, but I remember them making a big deal of presenting Zaya Brookside with a, uh, track jacket or like her, her suit track suit. Right. Um, and obviously they never signed her. So I think it's just more of like, okay, you've been around long enough that we're giving you one. I know, which I don't know her contract status, but Mina Shirakawa was also posting one. Well, and I'll also say that it isn't like Riho has been wrestling in every promotion in Japan, and all of a sudden we're going to figure out that now she's only wrestling in stardom. She's had those two appearances for Chaco Pro shows, and she had that one um, that one independent freelance show that she did, but that was months ago during you know the quarantine period when stardom wasn't running shows and Riho at that point had sort of fallen off the face of the earth. So it isn't like all of a sudden we're going to know that, oh, Riho has definitely signed because she's not appearing anywhere else now. So, you know, I think it's going to be a question of, and I guess we would see if Riho all of a sudden starts winning a bunch of matches and gets title shots, maybe she has signed. If she keeps, you know, just hanging out in these sort of meaningless undercard matches then you know maybe it's business as usual and they just wanted to give her a jacket because she's been around so long yeah if they give her a push that's really the only only way we could tell uh i assume she makes a salary from aew so she really doesn't have to work that much if she doesn't want to so i don't know she certainly hasn't worked in japan like she needs the money you know (laughs) so who knows uh all right the the stars team of Mina Shirakawa, Tom Nakano. And is this is this where she made her debut? It is, right? Unagi. It is, yes. Unagi Sayaka, they're calling her here. The former Himo, uh, the former Himawari Unagi uh, defeated the team of Goki Gendeth, Mayu Watani, and Starlight Kid. Yeah, really, I don't think much of a surprise to see that it was Unagi coming to debut with this new uh, subunit within Stars, the subunit of the Cosmic Angels. Um, I think I may have even said on the last show that I thought it would be her. Um, you know, without the match to talk about, there isn't all that much more to talk about because it's the person that, you know, we. Th- I think most people thought it would be, and that's who it was. Yeah, it's just like adding to that uh, glut of mid-carters, right? And Unagi is 31. You know, so it's not like this is a play for a 22-year-old who's got like a very bright future. So it's just kind of interesting to me of what, what the view is. And, you know, maybe it's a play for, uh, you know, your photo book sales, your merch sales, whatever. Uh, which they know way more about that part of their business and what its needs are than I do. So maybe it makes a lot of sense that I don't quite understand. Uh, but I don't think this changes anything in, in stardom in any real way. Yeah, I don't think, you know, it's who we thought it was. They're not, you know, a huge star coming into the promotion to debut and, you know, take over. So this will be a you know, an undercard, the Cosmic Angels will be some, you know, sort of undercard unit that I'm sure will take a lot of losses and, you know, it will be what it will be. All right. The artists of stardom titles changed hands as the Oedo Tai team of B Priestley, Natsuko Tora, and Saki Kashima defeated the Donadamondo team of Julia, Micah, and Shuri. 
I mean, uh, is, not much to say without seeing the match. <laughs> exactly. I was just about to say it's hard to sort of talk about the match. An interesting result as Donna Del Mundo loses. I mean, I think that's sort of without seeing the match, the most interesting part of it is Donna Del Mundo losing um, those titles. And maybe now, you know, the company feels that they've gotten what they sort of need out of the initial push of Donna Del Mundo and they can start trying to put some of that heat on other in other places like in Oedo Tai, which I think Oedo Tai has sort of um, sunk like a rock to me. I mean, in terms yeah. of, of my interest in them, in terms of how they've been booked. I mean, I've gone over the fact that, you know, not every match, cause they did have some clean matches um, in previous on previous shows, but it just seems like a unit that, you know, they don't really care about wins. You know, they come out and they use their weapons and chains and they get disqualified and it's hard to really get invested in a in a team that you know is going to come out and not care about the outcome. If they don't care about the outcome, then, you know, do I care about the outcome? I don't know that I do, but maybe, you know, this is an attempt to give them a title and really sort of try and boost them back up. Yeah, they definitely need to be uh, to built up. So hopefully this is the first uh move toward that we'll see uh the only match that is out there the goddesses of stardom title match uh so the azami and momo watanabe team won the tag league i don't i don't think the tag league finals had happened the last time we talked so they won the tag league and for their trouble they got to challenge uh the utami hayashishita sayakami tani champion team uh and i don't know i kind of assumed that Momo and Azumi would win here, but they did not. Uh, Utami and Saya retained the titles going into the big Sendai show. Yeah, it was a little bit tricky, uh, sort of tricky booking they put themselves in because if Azumi and Momo win, then all of a sudden you have your number one title challenger losing. You know, she might not have been pinned. It probably would have been Saya getting pinned if that would have happened, but you have her losing a title the day before she's going to challenge for a title, which seems... Um, sort of counterintuitive uh, booking wise, but I did, you know, watch this match. It just came out today. I watched it directly before we started recording and I thought it was good. Um, I wasn't blown away by anything. I think actually the strongest person in the match um, was Azumi to me. I think that she's getting better almost every match she's in. She has that um, sort of spike in the ropes, uh, head scissors move. I don't know if it has an official name, which always to me looks great. It's a really cool looking move. Um, so I thought it was a, you know, a good match, but below my expectations of what I would expect from a title match with these four people in it. I got to say for my friends who've been adding me to tell me that they're just building Momo up for, to win the big title. It's like, I thought, okay, well, maybe they'll rehab her. They put the tag titles back on her. Uh, nope. <laughs> strike one. <laughs> and we're going to talk about strike two here in a little bit. So uh, I'm, I'm just as uh, discouraged as ever at the idea of a Momo Watanabe uh, main event push coming up in stardom. But that's the Corquin show, which hopefully we'll get to watch here soon, the whole show. Uh, but they also, of course, ran a big show, well, actually, first, we should say, since, you know, this is part of our show now, that at Corquin, they drew 563 
fans. So, you know, in line with what they've been doing for like uh, their first Corican of the month, I think. Yes, and they don't have another Corican this month. So, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a solid number. You know, I guess the I guess the question would be if you're only running one Corican, would you assume that you would get a higher number? Because people would go, well, this is the only Corican in the month. I guess I'll go to this one because I'm not going. There is no other one to go to. Right. Yeah. It poked, I mean, a, hole, it poked a hole in my theory that people pick the best one to go to. Right. And like, oh, well, still, they didn't increase over their best shows from um, from like the previous month. I mean, they did 677 for the five star, you know, so that's their biggest of of the COVID era, you know. And uh, yeah, there you go. They just, I mean, it, and this was a, I said last month they had a dire card. This is a dire card for a Corkland show. Yeah, I guess, I mean, my thought now is that maybe they've just discovered that sort of 550 to 600 is the cap, unless they're going to put something major out like the five-star finals, which was easily that you could say, hey, you didn't have to announce any matches for that. You could just say, hey, this show is going to be the five-star final. You know, maybe next month they have sort of the year-end climax. Maybe that's something to go out and say, hey, it's a year-end climax, and maybe that draws some people in without having to announce the matches. Of course, next month as well, they go back to two Corikans within a week or so of each other, so we'll see what happens there. I mean, I think if they were running one Corican a month and drawing 550 to 600 every month, it wouldn't be, you know... I wouldn't be having my hair blown back, but I'd be going, okay, so they're doing, that's okay. That's all right. I mean, would you agree or disagree with that? I disagree with that big time. Like, what do you think if they were running one cork in a month, that should be the, that should be sort of the brand. I'll give whatever the range should be. I'm saying for a company that is running, uh, you know, Yokohama, this uh, Sendai Sun Plaza, and now uh, the Budokan they should be selling out Cork when, when they run it. They should fill. I know that it's uh, limited capacity, which tells me even more they should be selling it out when they run it. Yeah, I think there's. We'll get to Budokan um, in a <laughs> in a few minutes. Yeah, but I yeah, just, I just think that I think that this is what you know. This is sort of what the promotion is for this time. No, you're right that it's kind of like that is their cap. Uh, it's just what I'm saying is that is not befitting, which I've said this before. I don't have to repeat it, but it's just not befitting a company that is trying to uh, expand. That's all I'm saying. I right. Mean, and I guess the the question is, it, it's sort of two different questions of what is realistic for them to expect looking at what the company sort of is. And then there's a separate question of, what should be realistic based on the behavior? And we've sort of talked about this. What should be realistic based on the way the company is acting and presenting these shows in the specific venues they're running or the number of times they're running, for example, Corican. And I think those currently are two different, you know, for something like Corican are two different numbers that do not match. That's fair. 
Uh, I mean, it looks like the max is about 700 that you can fit in there right now. So, and I, and I will say to be fair, people have pointed this out. New Japan's not filling it up every time they run either. Uh, but they also run like really bad cards <laughs> when they run Corquin. Uh, so even worse, I think than, than these cards that stardom has run the past couple of times. But um, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't impress me. If you want to run uh, what people are calling arena shows, then you got to be able to fill up Corquin. Well, and we have another point about arena shows coming in a minute, which I think will, I think also sort of goes into my point, but we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. They also ran Sendai Sun Plaza, as we said, and they drew 508 fans. So uh, (laughs) what I was told is that they don't have to focus on Corquin so much because they have these bigger shows. What I've been told is that if they're going to run these big arena shows and they don't have to focus on Corquin so much. Corquin, that's a C show now. They pulled a thousand people to Yokohama, which, by the way, was not an impressive number for what that building holds. Uh, But then they go to Sendai and draw fewer people than they draw to Corquin. So why is this a bigger show? Why does this show get uh, a red belt title, a white belt title, a red belt title change? Uh, They put the SWA title on this show. So three title matches at the top of this card. Obviously, this was a card they were really building for. This was the main focus of the promotion since, you know, the last big show. And it can't draw as well as they even draw in Corquin. Now, I know Sendai and Tokyo are different places, but you pick the buildings you run. You pick the towns where you run the big card. And the one they picked did worse than Coroquin does. So somebody try to explain the business sense behind that to me because it makes none to me. And I mean, my thing is that you had, I mean, Utami Mayu was sort of the match, except for like, if you were just building up, if you just were given a blank slate and said, give me the best match currently that you could probably make in the company, it would probably be Mayu against Julia. That's the only other one I can really think of, you know, and it might be title, you know, Mayu versus Julia title for title might be the only match I could think of that you could do right now that would be bigger than Mayu Utami. And they've done that match recently. That was the first night of the five-star. That was the main event in Korokun. Mayu and Julia, I mean. Right, but there's really... Sort of the the sort of general point I'm making is you gave the biggest match, you know, you didn't hold back. Now, some of the lower card, you know, you could argue, you know, Azumi versus Gokigan death is, you know, not a not a killer draw. But I don't know if any really high speed title match would would really affect it that much. I mean, I think Julia versus Konami is a solid match. You have someone who just turned, is sort of still a little bit hot off this turn um, into a heel. You know, you have Shuri, who people have said, okay, she's sort of the third star of this company. She's in the third match winning, you know, against B. Priestley. So it's, it's, this is a, this is a card and you say, okay, we drew 500 people. 
And that to me, you know, I think the venue regularly holds 2000 people. So we'll just say 2000 people. It might hold slightly more than that. You take that down to 1000. So you drew a half house for a huge card. You drew maybe slightly more, even if we go down to 900, you do a 60% house for a huge sort of, in a way, promotion changing match, which we'll talk about that when we go through the card, because I think that's a positive, but it's not a huge positive that your ace and sort of the rising star of your company are in the main, are in a big main event and you drop barely over 500 people. Yeah. New Japan ran Sendai Sun Plaza in September and drew 914 fans. So over 400 more fans, almost double. And that was for a junior heavyweight uh, tag title league show. I mean, the main event was El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru versus Bushi and Hiromu. So, you know, they didn't quite give away, you know, the house for that and drew 900 people. So when I look at this card, to me, this is like one of the best cards. Okay, if you look at the roster that they have and how they are building the roster that they have, like, for example, I would say the best card they could do involves Momo Watanabe in a big singles match. If we're just talking about from pure work rate and what I like. But if I'm giving stardom that this is what they're doing, then this is about the best card they can put together. I, I, there's not a whole lot of ways to improve this. You got a little future match to open it up. You got some tags in there that are fine. Uh, Momo's in a, a featured singles match with Himika, who's another important part of the of the promotion. And then you got your big stars in the top two matches. And as you pointed out, one of the biggest matches they could possibly do in the main event. So it's pretty hard to improve upon this card. And as you pointed out, it drew 500 people. So I, I don't think people hate this. I don't think you can classify this as anything other than a failure. Yeah, I think if they would have, even if the number had come out and it was, I don't know, 700 or so, I mean, I would have said, okay, that's fine. You know, I don't know if there's a world where they do 914, for example, like New Japan did. But if you get up near, you know, I'm not saying that, oh, unless they get 900 people, it's a total failure. I think if you get to seven, maybe 750, I mean, I think that's pretty good. The fact that they ran, that the Corican before, the day before, now, as you said, they're two different cities, you know, Tokyo and Sendai. So it isn't a apples to apples comparison. But the show before drew more than the actual big show. You know, we're leading up to the big show. Okay, more people were interested in going to the lead up than were interested in going to the the show itself with like the, no build for the Corican. It was like, Oh, here's the card. Here's the Corican card. Well, yeah. The, the Corican's almost at this point are expect almost none of them ever have any build. Right. Like, Just here it is. They have one, maybe one match that people go, Oh, I want to challenge you. And they go, okay, it's on the show. Yeah. Now all that said, I bet this is a very good show. Like a lot of these matches look very good to me. I'm excited about watching the show. Uh, but if we're just talking from a business perspective, what they're doing isn't working and doesn't make sense. And uh, nobody's going to be able to convince me otherwise until the facts change. So, yeah, I don't and, I, 
And I agree with you in that looking, you know, one thing is that we talked about when we were doing that Yokohama show, which we hadn't seen, we were talking about, well, no titles changed hands and things like that. And some people, you know, rightly said, well, titles don't have to change hands for it to be right, which was correct. And the show was very good. I mean, we didn't really get to talk about it on this show, but I mean, it's going to be at or probably near the top for me in terms of shows of the year, Joshi shows of the year candidates. Um, and looking at this card, I think, I don't know if you disagree. I would say every result to me is the result I think is the smartest result. You know, not having seen the matches, I don't know what happens in the matches. Maybe there's something that I wouldn't agree with. But looking at the results, this is how I think it would have been best to book all these matches. Yeah, let's run down the the results real quick. The future of stardom title match, Micah defeated Saya Ida. Uh, Starlight Kid defeated Hanan and Hina and Riho and Saya Kamitani. Uh, the Cosmic Angels team, Mina Shirakawa, Tom Nakano, and Unagi Sayaka defeated the Oedo Tai team of Natsuko Tora, Rina, and Saki Kashima. Uh, the high-speed title match, Azumi defeated Gokigen Death. Momo Watanabe defeated Himika. The SWA uh, title match, Shuri defeated B Priestley. Uh, they did note, as I as I suggested on this very show, uh, they noted on Twitter that Shuri said because she's half Filipina, she will be able to defend this title against Japanese wrestlers. So it gives them some more um, flexibility in this title. I think that should help. The white belt, Julia, defeated Konami. And for the red belt, Utami Hayashishita defeated Mayu Iwatani. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is the red belt result. I mean, I said on the show that they had to. This had to happen. They had to put this title on Utami to see if they can create uh, another big drawing star who is a credible champion. And they did the right thing. So, you know, it's time to let that play out and see what happens. You know, if they go to, if their next Corquin uh, doesn't break 600 fans, I'm not going to say like, oh, they, Utami isn't the star, you know, so this sucks. Uh, let's see what happens. Maybe it's something that can work out. She's got to get more big wins. She can't just beat Mayu and expect everybody to see her as a big star. So we'll see how that goes. But at least this is the right step toward uh, improving the star uh, aura and the just pure number of stars on the roster. Well, yeah, and I think that this, you know, Unfortunately, I've I've touched on this in the past, but I think that stardom is in the way they book so limited in that the way they make stars is it's the people who win titles. You know, really, they sort of made Julia with the Hana feud. I mean, that helped. But other than that, I am very hard pressed to remember a time when a wrestler got over in a non-title situation. So there were some people who said, well, you just keep it on Mayu because Mayu's, you know, Mayu's the ace and she'll have great matches and you're building to the 10th anniversary and Utami can, you know, she'll still be, you know, way up there. But I think if you don't win the match, I mean, we've seen it with Jungle. The fact that everyone sort of hangs on her winning titles is because that's the way you sort of become a star in the companies. You win a title. It's an issue that they have. I don't know if they're, you know, if they know about it, if they care about it, if they think it doesn't matter, 
um, it's sort of a distressing trend to me because I think there's a lot of people down the card. I mean, we talk about lower on the card. Himika challenged for the challenge Julia for a title. She lost. She faces Momo. She lost. And it's all of a sudden like she got built up. She was on the upward swing and she was on the upward swing. Why? Because she was getting, she was going to get a title match. She got the title match and all of a sudden it's like sinking like a stone. It's just the, uh, the inability of this company to keep anyone, you know, up on the card without just saying, oh, the reason they're up here is because they're a title challenger. And then you just have, you know, I think some of that is born from the fact that for a long time, you know, a few years ago in the company, the company was built around Io Shirai was the big champion and they would bring in these foreign wrestlers from America or England or Australia or wherever. They'd build them up. They would challenge EO for the title. They'd lose, and then boop, they were out. They were back to wherever they were from. Their tour was done. And I think that sort of idea of, well, this is how you book a company, has gotten into the, the Japanese talent booking and that you build these people up, they get to a title, boop, you're done, and boop, right back down the card. Tam Nakino. Face Julia, they had a great feud. It was really hot. They had a great match at that Yokohama show. She loses, boop, right back down the card. Now she's teaming, you know, she's in a group that, you know, some people um, are enjoying. I find it a little bit uh, strange, this sort of weird... Uh, group that she's in, but now she's sort of firmly in this bottom of the card, goofy, yeah, we're here having fun group, when two months ago, you probably could have taken her off the Julia feud and feud and tried to do something with her and keep her up there. But now all of a sudden, right back down. Now she's fallen. And now, you know, if you want to get her up again, you're going to have to do the work and get her back up the card. And so... You know, Utami, it all goes back to, you know, Utami had to win because she is the best. She's, I think, been built the best up to being the big challenger of Mayu. And now she's won and you have a chance to lock her into that position instead of just having her tumble back down the card like a lot of these wrestlers do. I think you're exactly right. I mean, there's there's one person who's gotten over as a big star in this company without being the champion, and that's Hanakamura. And Hanakamura was a once-in-a-generation charismatic superstar who didn't need to win anything to be a big star. And they still, you know, had her win Cinderella Tournament, the five-star, but she never won a title. But it didn't matter because she was so magnetic, and you just can't duplicate that. You can't just sit around. This is like the WWE problem, right? Sitting around waiting for the next Stone Cold or the next Rock. Uh, and that's the level of, I mean, not that Hana was going to be, you know, selling out the Tokyo Dome or whatever, but that's the level of, of star she was from like a charisma standpoint. And it's not something that comes around very often. So you have to find ways in just like your normal everyday booking to get people over. You're exactly right about Himika. I mean, she was on the cusp of like being made by the company. 
and uh, they, they lose her. And maybe it is that thing that you're talking about of it was always booked in like a, a real old school territory type way where you build up the foreign heel or not even heel, but you build up the foreign person. They lose. Go away. But I also think a problem is just this. Now we have this constant build to the next big show and you have to have the title match. What's going to be the title match at the big show? But you don't anymore have the people you can just plug into that. You've got to, I, there's going to reach a point where the title doesn't draw people to the shows anymore. It's, it's the people in the title match. And uh, I'm not sure they've got a ton of these matches left that are going to work, but we'll see. Hopefully the Utami thing works out. Uh, I hope it does because nothing would be worse than having to get on here every two weeks and talk about like a company that's not fun to watch. You know, <laughs> I have no interest in that. <laughs> so I really hope that uh, it works out with Utami. Uh, we're going to find out what sort of success they have uh, here what, in a few months because they announced that they're going to be running Nippon Budokan on March 3rd, 2021, the 10th anniversary show. Uh, that's a Wednesday. Um, man, that's like a really big building. <laughs> so, Taylor, I mean, I don't think I have to say what I think about it. I think it's a bad idea, obviously. Uh, the question, I think, is how do they put together a big audience for this show? Well, I'll start with a positive in that my hope is, and I think we've sort of covered this, is that, look, I hope they get in that building March 3rd and they sell the whole thing out because that'll probably mean it's a really good card. It'll be a really good crowd. You know, that is my hope. When I first you know, saw the announcement on Twitter that, oh, we're doing Budokan, you know, that venue is close to 15,000 people. So let's just say, let's say at this point, we're under the same exact restrictions we are right now in terms of capacity, which we may or we may not be. Who knows what happens? Maybe we're under tighter restrictions. I don't know. But let's just pretend for, you know, the sake of this discussion that they're going to be so it's going to be 7500 which would be 2000 more than the company has ever drawn in their entire history i think they drew a reported 5500 7 years ago um for the yuski aikawa um retirement at sumo hall um you know and recently we know what they've drawn you know they drew fifth, they drew 1600 to a Corican at the beginning of the year. Um, and so to me, I just wonder, you know, I think for certain, you know, we just saw they drew 500 in Sendai. Even if you multiplied that by five, that's 2,500. But I think the current roster, if you were just to say, make a strong card with the current roster, you're not getting anywhere close. So I think really one of three things is going to happen, and I'll talk about them in the order I think is most likely that they happen. The most likely thing I think happens is that they get Kyrie Hojo for a match. I think that it almost it almost would surprise me more if Kyrie is not in a match at that show than if she is in a match. So that would be number one. 
And I think, frankly, all three of these things could happen that I'm talking about, and they still might struggle to really fill out the building. The number two thing is, you know, this is not something I would be particularly into or excited about, so I'm not advocating for this. Um, But there may be some New Japan inclusion. Maybe they do a main event of Will Ospreay and be Priestley against Okada and Mayu. Maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Would it be a mixed tag? I don't know if New Japan would go along with that. But that might be a thing, putting some New Japan people on the card that might draw in some New Japan people to see what's going, New Japan fans, to see what's going on. You know, I don't know if that would happen. And then the third thing, which I think is least likely to happen, um, and I don't even know if it would boost numbers, but it might, is something like starting an alliance with Seedling. Because that, at least, it would be very newsworthy if you had a show where you say, let's say the top three of the show is the New Japan tag that I just suggested. The second one is Kairi Hojo versus Utami for the red belt you know, second. And the third is Yoshiko versus Arisa Hoshiki, for example. If she comes back, she did talk about that she may, I think when she first um, left stardom, she did talk about maybe coming back for the 10th anniversary. That would sort of be a match where it would have the idea of Yoshiko back in stardom for the first time since the big, you know, happening. It would have Arisa coming back, who a lot of people did like. It would have a connection to the 10th anniversary of the company as two wrestlers who were there when it started. Maybe you could have, you know, we've seen Yusuke Aikawa, you know, hanging out with uh, Nanai Takahashi on um, Instagram or wherever they've been hanging out doing um, sort of faux matches. Maybe she shows up as a connection of the 10th anniversary. I don't know if that would draw, but it might be something else. But I think if they are serious about really drawing a number over just running the building to say that they're running it, which may be what they're doing, just to say, hey, we ran Budokan. A Joshi company hasn't run Budokan in many years. That could be their whole ploy, which is just we have the money. Let's just throw out the money and say, hey, we're a big deal. We're running Budokan. And maybe in that case, they just run a stardom card, whatever they can put on, some strong matches. But I think if they are serious about any sort of drawing of a big number, a meaningful number in that building, I have a feeling the main event is going to be something that isn't a sort of stardom, pure match, something that you, you know, it might not be the red belt. The red belt might be second and you have a big spectacle main event or something like that. But I think something is going to have to happen or maybe, as I said, many things will have to happen in order for this show to draw any meaningful number in a huge venue that's that's many times larger than any building they've run in the last five years. Yeah, I have no idea what the economics are. Like, I don't know what the 
break-even point is, on like tickets sold. I don't know. No idea. So I don't know what makes it a financial success. But you're right. They're going to have to break something out to uh, to really fill the building up, to put on a, a put out a number that's going to look good. You know, I mean, I don't think you could even put this many people in there, but when New Japan ran it three nights in a row last year, the worst number they ran was uh, 9,600. <laughs> so I don't think startup's going to uh, get anywhere close to that. And I mean, that's not even a criticism. Like they're not at a point to do that. That's why we've been saying, or at least I've been saying, they just shouldn't be doing these shows uh, because they're not at the point where like a New Japan is, who even when they started started running uh, Nippon Budokan, they were, you know, their worst night was like 6,000. And I don't think Stardom's going to approach that. But I think you make a great point about uh, bringing back Kyrie Hojo for a match. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned before the show, and I thought you would uh, point this out, but I'm going to steal it, is they'll probably paper the crowd. There'll probably be a lot of a lot of free uh, tickets given out uh, for people to come. But here would be my top two matches. Taylor, you ready for this? I'm ready. Lay it on me. <clears throat> well, I mean, I, maybe, you know, maybe a, a top match would be the uh, Kairi Hojo versus Utami. I think that's a great idea. That's a great match. Uh, but I'm just going back through the uh, through the annals of stardom history. Uh, I think my my semi main event, the Nai Takahashi versus Mayu Iwatani. My main event, Natsuki Tayo and Yoshiko versus Ari Sahoshki and Yusuke Aikawa. <laughs> I would just copy this show from Shinkiba on February 27, 2011, <laughs> and uh, and run it in in Budokan. That's my idea. A match I did give five stars to, so I'm not um, <laughs> I'm not entirely opposed to that. Although, I mean, my biggest question with with that is it would be obviously newsworthy, but the question is: Is anyone, you know, in seedling a big enough draw to have people say, "Well, we care about this"? You know, um, seedling just ran Cork in a week and a half ago, and they drew they drew four hundred. Yeah, but how? But how two- many? People you know. that came to that are also going to the stardom Coraclins. You know, there's right. got to be some number of that that are that are new fans, and uh, you could add those on. That's going to be helpful. But also, um, I mean, obviously, it's not working for Seedling if they're drawing 400 fans to Coraclin. But there is this idea, at least, that you know Yoshiko is like this big TikTok star, right? So, is there something that can be played off of that? Uh, that could help them bring out more fans. I don't know. Yeah, I just think that for stardom now, the building is so big, you know, we're not really talking about Matt, where you say, well, should it be this? Should it be this? You know, we can't really talk about, well, should it be this match, with which might draw 200 more fans, or this match, which might draw, you know, 200 less fans. I mean, you really have to have a couple matches on the card where you say, this match or this set of matches, whatever the, you know, two matches or three matches has to make a difference of thousands. It, it has to sales. be, it has to be new Japan involvement. That's the only way they put up a respectable number in the building. Yeah. The new Japan thing, as I said, I'm not particularly, um, it isn't an idea that particularly excites me in any way. Oh, like, no. The tag, the tag I mentioned, I'm not sure that I really would want to see that match. And I wonder if, you know, 
does it draw New Japan fans to say, oh, do you want to see a tag with, you know, Okada and Will um, and two people you don't really know anything about and it's going to be a tag, you know, it might be... I. I can't imagine them doing like an intergender match. Or <laughs> like it would have to be a mixed tag. So at the end of the yeah. day, you're sort of seeing half a Will Ospreay and Okada match and half, let's just say, you know, a Mayu and B match. Do either of those ideas to their relative, to their each fandom really make you go, Ooh, you know, that's, no. a match. I've got to see half of Mayu and B. You know. No, but people would, I think New Japan fans, at least there's like some portion of New Japan fans who would come to see, would come out. So I think, you know, there's something to that. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, they weren't doing this for drawing, but uh, my friend Kara pointed out earlier today, like you basically do the reverse of the Tokyo Dome and do like, uh, her point was Naito and Okada versus Osprey and White or something like that as like the first match on your show. <laughs> Just to just literally just to draw fans. Yeah, I don't. I and I don't follow New Japan booking enough to know like what makes sense. But right. you could do something where it's kind of where it's a tag match that kind of has interest because it's not something you would normally see. You know, like I would assume there hasn't been an Okada Naito tag team, um, if ever, not in a long time, right? So if you could do like something weird like that, maybe you could draw some fans in. I'm just assuming that. If they came out and they said, ah, oh, the thing we're going to use to draw is, you know, wherever it is on the card, whoever's involved, a New Japan. The thing we're going to do is is have a big New Japan match that doesn't have any stardom or any women in it, for example. I think a lot of people are going to go, what? This is not what we we wanted. You know, we were excited to see a Joshi show. And now you're telling us we have this thing where it's really, you know whoever it is, and we don't really care about seeing these people. Well, you got to sell tickets is all I know. So I know they got to figure out a way to sell tickets. All right. Well, that's stardom running Budokan. I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot more as we approach March 3rd. Sadly, uh, you know, that'd be a fun thing to go to, but I guess we will not be able to go to Japan by March, huh? (laughs) Uh, Probably not. (laughs) All right. Speaking of uh, this person could also be on the show a return. Uh, Ak Yasakawa has returned, but to Actress Girls. Yeah, she showed up at an Actress Girls show uh, just yesterday. Um, it's not clear whether this is a full-time return or a one-time thing or an occasional thing, but it is exciting to see. You know, she was a big part of um, stardom many years ago. So I'm hopeful that she sticks around to do whatever because um, I always enjoyed seeing her. But that's sort of a wait and see uh, what happens. A uh, friend of the show, Suzu Suzuki, lost the ice ribbon title. Yeah, she lost it on the train. Um, she was traveling on a train and lost the title. They've replaced it with the old version, uh, the Ice 60 um, title. And I think they're going to make a new one. But a uh, Chris Jericho esque um, losing. Of the title. Yes. And and as we saw, that helps you make, uh, helps make you a big star. So I think this can only do wonders for Suzu Suzuki. Has Suzu done yet a, a video from a hot tub where she talks about losing the title? 
Not to not to my knowledge, um, although this happened just a few days ago, so I guess anything is possible. <laughs> uh, Gaia Japan's coming back uh, April 2021. Yeah, so they were scheduled to have a show April of 2020. The lockdown happened. That show was unfortunately canceled. That was a bummer for me because it was one thing I was really most looking forward to during that period where everything shut down. So I'm glad to see that they are going to um, come back and try again. Um, one big question, I guess, will be that Mako Satamora was involved originally when they announced it um, a number of months ago. And the big question is now that she is going to NXT UK, whether she will be around for that. Obviously, she was one of the original rookies um, in 1995 in Gaia. So it will be a question of whether they sh- she's there. I hope she is there because uh, it would be quite meaningful. But I guess we will see. Sendai Girls will still be involved, but don't know about. All right, it's Spark Notes time. Let's talk about uh, some of the other shows uh, in brief that have been going on lately. Yeah, so Tokyo Joshi did have another show uh, right after Wrestle Princess. Uh, the two big things were Saki Sama returned to Tokyo Joshi. I don't know how she got in the country from Paris um, because travel is restricted, but she has a lot of money, so I'm sure that she uh, paid someone off or something like that. And now Kakuda, who was part of Actress Girls, she announced during that Wrestle Princess show that she would be debuting for Tokyo Joshi. And she wrestled in her first match in the promotion and won the, I believe it was the opening uh, tag match on that show, which was on November 14th. Um, Chaco Pro has has continued as they keep doing um, all the way up to Chaco Pro 65. Uh, the big moment of the past two weeks was an I quit match between the pencil army of Emmy pencil and Lulu pencil versus Yuna Mizumori and Chris Brooks. Uh, I actually tweeted out about this right after I watch it. It's definitely worth going out of your way for, I think it's a real strong um, look at the way that Choco pro has constructed this sort of universe that has a complexity to it, but a lot of their storytelling is very straightforward. It's easy to understand. You know, it's not convoluted. You're not going, what, why is this person doing this? I think it's been one of their huge strengths and they've done it in this variety of ways, you know, tag matches, singles matches, last woman standing, uh, iron woman matches, and now an I quit match. Um, which I wouldn't be surprised to learn might be inspired from the AEW I Quit match that happened just a few days before this one. But definitely worth uh, checking out on the Chaco Pro YouTube. Uh, Seedling, as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, had a show at Corican on November 4th, which was headlined by Yoshiko versus Aja Kong for the Seedling title. Um, it got very strong reviews. Um, from people who were there, it airs on Nico. Uh, what will be tomorrow for us recording, but it will be today. If you're listening, uh, November 16th, it will be on Nico. So looking forward to checking that out. A lot of people said that that Yoshiko Aja Kong match uh, was up there with the um, Hikaru Shida Aja Kong match 
which was a um, big finisher in the in match of the year stuff uh, two years ago. So looking forward to that. Uh, Ice Ribbon held their two shows with Nichom, uh, Nichome Pro Wrestling. Uh, the big news out of that one was Ram Kaichao won the Triangle Ribbon title back from Lady Koju, who is Koju Takeda. And also, I have not seen this, but I do want to track it down. Uh, Masashi Takeda took on Suzu Suzuki. Uh, so that's a super interesting match. Hoping to catch that soon. And then Ice Ribbon had a show on the 14th, headlined by Matsuyu Uno, Suzu Suzuki, and Tsukasha Fujimoto, taking on Mika Ozaki, Maya Yukihi, and Ram Kaichao. That sounds like a fun match as well. Oz Academy had the finals of the tag tournament we've been talking about. Mission K4 defeated uh, Ozaki-Goon, so it will be a Mission K4 Explodes tag team title match as the winners of the tournament, Kaho Kobayashi and Kakaru Sekiguchi, will take on Sonoko Kado and Akino. Uh, Wave posted the last dual shock, or the last, I guess, of the quote-unquote semifinal dual shock wave tournament matches on their YouTube. Um, it's the full November 7th show. It's a very fun show. Uh, the main event is worth checking out. Itsuki Aoki and Rin Katakura won that match. So the finals will be Aoki and Katakura against the current champions, Boss Tamami of Yumioka and Mio Momono. And also in that match, Seri and Hibiki. Uh, and finally, Diana had a dojo show. Not much to talk about on that show. It was a pretty short show, but that also is available on youtube so check that out and then uh we have some upcoming shows the biggest show um upcoming on november 20th is the second assemble show um it will happen once again from the ueno park amphitheater um, and it will be available once again for viewing on the zyko uh, pay-per-view platform um i bought the last show that happened, the first show of Assemble that happened on that platform, it was very easy to purchase the pay-per-view. It was very easy to watch. The player is very intuitive. I had no issues. So if you missed the first Assemble show, I would definitely recommend um, checking out this one. Uh, they do have three dark matches, which are not going to be on the pay-per-view. Mei Hoshizuki versus Mio Momono, which is a marvelous match. Uh, Natsuho Kaneko versus Yuriki Oka from Sendai Girls. And Akari versus Chie Ozora from Pure J. But the card itself, uh, I'll just run down real quick. Marvelous is sending Tomoko Watanabe, Hibiki, and Mei Hoshizuki. They will be... Oh, well, they will be going up against, I believe, Mio Momono, Rin Katakura, and Masha Slamovich. Stardom is sending their first match to an Assemble show, so that's very exciting. There was some question about what Stardom's involvement would be, uh, so glad to see them sending a match. Azumi and Saya Kamatani will go up against Starlight Kid and Saya Ida, so that should be a fun match as well. Oz Academy will have Aja Kong and Kari Yonayama, part of Beast 
friends going up against Sonoko Kado and Kaho Kobayashi of Mission K4. Uh, Sendai Girls will have Chihiro Hashimoto and Dash Chizako versus Manami and Yuriki Oka. Seedling will have the former Seedling Tag Team Champions, Yoshiko and Hiroyo Matsumoto, going up against Arisa Nakajima and Hanori Hana. The uh, freelance match, this is probably the match I'm looking most forward to on the show. I think this will be really good, especially after the uh, freelance match on the first Assemble show really sort of stole the show. Uh, Seri and Seri Ano against Asuka and Riko Kawahara. That should be good. And finally, Pure J will send Hanako Nakamori against Kazuki, the only uh, singles match on the main part of the card. And then a, a special match, a Hall of Fame special match in the main event, Jaguar Yokota, Chigusa Nagayo, and Kaori Ito versus Dump Matsumoto, Yumiko Hoda, and Kaoru. So that should be um, a lot of fun. Um, also, uh, Stardom has a number of shows. Um, they're mostly all small shows in the next two weeks. The rest of November is pretty quiet before Stardom ramps up for a big December. Uh, Seedling has a show on November 27th at Shinkiba. Nothing's been announced for that yet. Oz, has, Oz Academy has a show November 29th which features Yoshiko versus Kaho Kobayashi as the semi-main singles match. Um, that should be uh, one to watch out for. Hopefully that makes it on to Nico. Uh, Tokyo Joshi has a big show coming up on November 20th. Uh, it will feature Hyper Masao versus Super Sasadango Machine. That one was announced at Wrestle Princess, so I'm sure that one will be um, pretty crazy and then a big five-way match here between yuka sakazaki shoko nakajima miyu yamashita uh, rika tatsumi and maki ito and then saki sama has is going to be tagging with a mystery x uh, so that will be interesting to see who that is um the uh, sendai girls has a a uh, Korokin show coming up on November 29th, which is a Road to Gaiaism show, which will feature a series of Sendai Girls versus Marvelous singles matches. There will be seven, I believe, randomly drawn singles matches on the day of the show. And the Sendai Girls uh, side will include Kazane, who is the new Sendai rookie. And then the other... Two other big shows are tomorrow, Ice Ribbon and Actress Girls have the joint Korokin, a show which will feature Suzu Suzuki against Tai Honma for the Ice Ribbon title and Miyuki Takase versus Akane Fujita for the Actress Girls title. So two big singles titles matches. And then Wave has the finals of the DualShock Wave tournament which I talked about a few minutes ago on their November 21st show. So that a lot of, a lot of fun, um, cool stuff coming up for the next show. I'm sure that we will discuss um, the big assemble show. Um, so that, 
So you have that to look forward to. So definitely check it out by the pay-per-view. I believe it's 20, it's 2000 yen. So it's about $19 or so. So not nothing too expensive. So I highly recommend that. It always cracks me up that we'll be like, oh, there's a lot of big shows coming up. So we're gonna have all this to talk about. And then basically none of it airs by the time the next show comes out. So we don't get to talk about it. And then it's old news by the time the next show happens. <laughs> well, the good news is assemble will be yes. airing on pay-per-view. So we, that 100% we will be covering, covering that show, which is good. But yes, we often do run into that where I say, Oh, this show, it will be great. And then it comes out that it won't be, you know, making tape for two or three weeks. So. That's just the way things go. Indeed it is. Well, I think that's everything that we plan to talk about. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app. Tell a friend. Uh, and if you would like to donate to the show, you can do so at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. So uh, I think that's it. You got anything else, Taylor? No, I think we covered it all. <laughs> I think we also do the, that at the end of every show too. <laughs> I would say, I would say, uh, make sure you get your votes in for us for the uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame podcast yes. podcast yes. wing. I listen to podcasts in America. That's the uh, that's the uh, whatever it's called. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Got Anybody you. who follows the Wrestling Observer <laughs> Hall of Fame will think that was funny. I think, or they will at least know what I meant and say like shut up please so one of those things will happen okay but we'll be back in uh two weeks so thanks for listening bye bye